Hello and welcome back to the show. I am Christoph Defoe. And I am Liz Wilson. Today we are going to talk about the challenges of existing in a capitalist environment, the anxieties, the fears, the self-sabotage that comes along with all of that, and try to discuss what we can do as individuals to combat those feelings and also to do that in a way that forwards the cause of social justice. So we don't want to just talk about problems here. We want to talk about solutions. But before we get into that, I want to remind you that if you like our show to make sure to subscribe, to leave a review, check out our Patreon and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on all the major podcast channels. And be sure to check out our sponsor Cannibal and Co located in downtown Jersey City and at shopcannibal.com. We are grateful to Cannibal for sponsoring our show. Now, let's get right into it, Liz. What's on your mind today? Thanks, Tifa. Um, well, I am in a state of very um, elevated arousal. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Just, just hilarious. It's not what but you think, everybody. It's, it's not, not what, you, what think. you think. Let's specify. <laughs> I'm referring to the state of my nervous system, um, specifically in terms of anxiety. And I only use the word ar- arousal versus anxiety is because I want to be clear that this is largely because of good and exciting things. This is mm. not me being afraid of something, per se. <clears throat> but <laughs> we have a family vacation coming up. And it's the first vacation that I've had in a really long time, certainly pre-pandemic. Um, and I, it's a bit of a family re- reunion. I come from a very, very big family. And uh, a lot of them are Canadian. So <laughs> we've, we're renting a compound and there's 30-plus people going to be there. And it's... Uh, so I'm very excited to see these people because these are some of my favorite people and I haven't seen them in over two years. Mm. Um, so, But I do think it's interesting to note that the physiological response that you have to excitement is very similar to the response that you have to, to fear um, mm. and feeling nervous. But anyway, so I was just, um, I'm actually doing some like nitty gritty, I'm like ordering food, I'm making a packing list. I'm very mm-hmm. organized. Um, this is me managing my anxiety, obviously. <laughs> but these kinds of things make it feel really real. Um, this has also been a pretty eventful week for another reason that I finally, at 43 years old, got a, some official um, mental health diagnoses. Um and I think it's really important to be vulnerable and open about these things. And I think, you know, destigmatizing mental health stuff is crucial for us to evolve as a species. So the long-winded way of saying that I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder mm-hmm. and also PMDD, which is kind of like PMS on, on steroids, super intense. I'm not a pleasant person for like two weeks before I have my period. And Mm. I've gotten really good at managing how I interface with the outside world. So if you know me in real life, you might not 
no. <laughs> but I'm just stuffing it all down for two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I'm miserable. I'm better at not spreading it so much, but I'm miserable. So, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, so it's been pretty eventful and I'm actually starting a medication Hmm. Today I'm starting on Lexapro. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so this has all kind of been on my mind, and I've been thinking about how my how having an official diagnosis has really changed the way that I'm um, my inner workings, the way that I'm dealing with my feelings. Sure. Um, yeah, and I can get a little bit more into that, uh, you know, later on. But it's it is, I'm, it's interesting. I'm noticing how much of sort of my capitalist programming, among other, you know, life things, just specific to me, but they really get in the way of happiness, which is sure. ironically then makes me less productive. But. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So is this the first time that you've been on medication for that for for mental health type stuff? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I have been congratulations, first of all, Thank because you. <laughs> I think I, you know, um as the audience certainly any long-term audience uh, knows is that I've had lots of drug problems and all kinds of mental health problems over the course of my life. And and I started doing, getting medication um, uh, back when I was in law school, I guess. So good over 10 years ago now. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it was definitely a big game changer, I think. And to sort of piggyback on what you just said there, getting a diagnosis, a specific diagnosis, I think is can be very, very liberating. Um, I think people yeah. think that like, oh boy, now this means X, Y, and Z about me. And maybe it does, but I, but also it can be incredibly liberating because I suddenly realize like, holy shit, there isn't, this isn't my quote fault, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is part of my, my brain, how my brain works. Mm-hmm. I didn't create my brain, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I am in, I, I didn't create the circumstances under which I grew up, my biology, et cetera. This is in some sense out of my hands, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's something I found that to be incredibly freeing. Um, and I find that medication gives me, it certainly doesn't solve all my problems, clearly. I don't think anybody expects that. But I think what it does do is that it gives me a it gives me a shot. It gives me a, mm-hmm. it, it eliminates some of the bottom line barriers to, yeah. to good functionality. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, absolutely critical in this capitalist environment that yeah. we, that we live in. Right. So right. I want to sort of, you know, break this down a little bit, what we're talking about here, right? We're talking about mental health. We're talking about capitalism, right? We're talking about how these things interact. Um, so uh, let's break this down in sort of a, into a, a micro discussion yeah, and a macro discussion. So Liz, talk to me a bit about how this all impacts you on a personal level. Yeah. Well, that's sort of what you were saying, exactly what you were saying. Mm. Um, I had been 
sort of like lightly diagnosed in my twenties mm-hmm. with anxiety disorder. Um, my therapist, but had diagnosed me, but the way she presented it to me was, Oh, this is for the insurance company's benefit. I just said, this is your uh-huh. diagnosis. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I, so I took that to mean it wasn't like really my problem. Right. <laughs> it was like, I had a little bit of that, but it wasn't, it didn't give me that sense of validation that I needed. And I actually brought that up with my current therapist and she said, you know, some people have a, have this thing where they feel like maybe they don't want to be labeled blah, blah, blah. But for me personally, it was extremely validating because mm. as you were saying, it's not just inherently, it's not who I am, right? It's something is working in a disordered fashion. Um, and I think before I was thinking, well, if I'm neurotypical, does that mean that everybody else is walking around feeling this way? But they somehow have their shit together a lot better than I do. They seem to be able to do these things and not go home and fall apart at the end of the day. Um, So then that meant that I was the problem. Me, inherently, there was something that I just couldn't do. So not only does it make it less personal for me, it also gives me hope because maybe I don't have to feel like this all the time. Like maybe there's actually another way of functioning and living in the world. Right. So it's like something yeah. I can, something I can do about it. Mm. I mean, for about 20 years, I've been working on coping mechanisms and ways of managing these things. And I feel like I've gotten pretty good at it, but it's like, I just, I've hit the ceiling a little bit, you know? Mm. And it's one of the things. And as soon as it was labeled as a disorder, I suddenly looked at my internal states in a different way and I noticed things like (laughs) one thing is my therapist gave me a a worksheet and it was like an anxiety worksheet and it said, list the things that you worry about. And I just started (laughs) laughing because I thought like, there's no way that I could do that. It would literally just be stream of consciousness. It would be almost every thought that comes into my head. And not every worry that I have is like, oh my God, I'm going to fucking die. But everything is tinged with worry in my head. I am tense all the time. It's certainly, you know, there are times that are it's better than others. But overall, I'm generally pretty worried and tense. And I don't sure. even notice it because I think that's just me. Right. So this kind of like allowed me to have a little space between who I am and those feelings. It's sort of this thing with meditation that you talk about, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think I just thank you for that. I, I really just identify so much with what you're talking about there, especially when you said this sense of walking around feeling like everyone else is feeling the way I'm feeling, experiencing mm-hmm. the world I'm exper- the way I'm experiencing it, mm-hmm. feeling things as intensely as I am or as I th- seem to be, but is coping with it in mm-hmm. a in a way that obviously I am not. So therefore I am a failure. I am inherently flawed and when you connect that to capitalism, when you connect that to um, 
Judeo-Christian, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the sort of original sin concept, and suddenly it all it all sort of connects, right? You're like, oh wow, well that makes sense, right? The the the, the programming with which we with which we the, the stuff with which we're programmed, the sort of the capitalist yeah. impulse of uh, there's there, there's always so much more I could be doing. Yeah. The the uh, Judeo-Christian impulse, which is there is something inherently, I'm inherently flawed. Mm-hmm. And then you connect that with this sense, this perspective on oneself, on myself, that uh, I am constantly failing. And that mm-hmm. loop, that loop mm-hmm. of despair can be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. can be really, really tough. And, you know, for, for me, it's, you know, just a quick story is uh, this past week has been a difficult week for me. And this past weekend, I, I do stuff around the house and um, I'm no, I'm not handy or anything, but I do a couple things around the house and um, I ended up screwing up something, right? So I painted something that I shouldn't have painted and I, I thought it was a different kind of, um, uh, a different kind of uh, seal that I was using. Um, and the seal that I, that I ended up using was the wrong seal. Anyway, long story short, that it was a silly mistake. It was something, it was a mistake that uh, an amateur sort of home home improvement guy could make very easily. But it ended up being a really difficult thing for me, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I, I have the, these sort of little silly mistakes are something, it, it was very triggering for me because I, I grew up making these kinds of mistakes all the time, right? right. Um, my, some of my earliest memories are being, I, I grew up in a cult to be fair, but being kicked out of my classroom mm-hmm. in the cult, in my classroom, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because, because I, we would get sent out to work like in the fields if we if we screwed Jesus up right Christ. so i you got you know help brought up in front of the class class and sort of mm-hmm. admonished shamed. and then yeah. shamed and then kicked out of the classroom and um and then you had to go work at what was called food processing and you would like sort beets and shit you know and you know, i was in third grade you know and mm. uh and i was really bad at math because i was i'm really bad at these little details right i've always been mm-hmm. a writer and humanity is kind of person because i can sort of massage that but when it comes to so the point is that i these little mistakes that i make all the time um uh and i can i'm concerned that is adhd by the way um mm-hmm. and that i have like you come up with many, many coping mechanisms to make it work for me, right? I have so mm-hmm. many workarounds that I have mm-hmm. in my life that I've built. Um, but, and I'm, I'm actually, funny enough, literally today I have therapy and I'm going to talk to him about ADHD. Um, because, but the point is that it's connect, it connects to these things, these, these experiences that are super, it triggers these, these feelings that are super mm-hmm. intense. So there's like a silly little mistake ends up mm-hmm. feeling like this huge problem, yeah. like this, this huge defeat. Yeah. Um, and so I just want to tell this story just because it's, I hear you. I really hear you. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to know whether the ADHD is a capitalism related or whether it's self, self, you know, just me, but mm-hmm. it's, it's very, very real. Um, I want, to now sort of broaden our perspective a little yeah. bit, right? So um, how do you think these micro issues we've been talking about, uh, and I don't mean micro in the sense that they are insignificant, but they are specific to us, right? Our experience, right. but mm-hmm. the stuff we've been discussing, how do you think these things scale up or mm-hmm. do they scale up to a community, to a macro level, to a community level, to a nationwide level, to a global level? Mm-hmm. How do you think about that? 
Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because I did a a little research as I do, Mm -hmm. because I like to manage (laughs) my, my environment. Um, (laughs) Because it, it occurred to me, you know, this idea that everyone else must have these same um, things running through their head all the time, these same feelings, and then totally. realizing that. And and to be perfectly honest, being told that I have a disorder, there is part of me that thinks that that's kind of bullshit, right? Mm, like I know that feeling too. Everybody actually does feel like this, right? Like how can people function if they don't feel like this? <laughs> I heard somebody say once that they didn't have an inner monologue. I just was like, ha- how? Uh, I, I don't. <laughs> that's, the inner, my that's, inner monologue is the problem, right? That is fundamentally the problem. How could you not have oh one? Oh my God. I can't it's like literally fathom. having somebody living in my head all the time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Judging everything you think everything. and say and do. Um, <laughs> which side note is one of the reasons this podcasting has been a great exercise for me. <laughs> because I have to push through that. Mm, Anyway, mm -hmm. my point being, I did a little research on anxiety in terms of like how often people are diagnosed with anxiety, like in a disordered way, because everyone has anxiety from time to time. I was doing some research and it turns out that 30% of people will will experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their life. So not just regular anxiety. Mm. I'm going to pause for a second. Okay. Not just regular anxiety, but a disordered anxiety. And, you know, that's a that's a third of the population. That's it's a lot. pretty significant. But also it means 60% don't, which blew my mind. Side note. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. I can't even understand that. I that's can't, that's I can't mind-boggling that. to me. But also it's hopeful. Like maybe we could join the ranks. Anyway. Mm. Um, so, but then also COVID, you know, there was like a 25% bump in anxiety do- disorders and depression. After that, um, I think actually one of the reasons for that, my little pet theory is, as we've touched on before, this access that we have to world news and even national news is unprecedented. And we are not made to process that level of fear and trauma and tragedy. And it certainly has an impact on our nervous systems, right? But further than that, there is a there's a physiological um, system that we have, the stress response, right? And it's meant to work in a loop. So if we we have our trigger, we have the stress res- hormones released, then there's an action taken that resolves the problem, and then our hormones re-regulate. But when you have a stressful event and no resolution, you cannot do anything to close that loop, you end up staying stuck in that stress response and stressed hormones just keep shooting through your body. So I kept thinking this during COVID. I was like, as a a human people, humankind is having this experience where we we are utterly powerless. We are looking around and millions of people are dying and suffering and there is nothing we can do except to do nothing. Mm. So that's a long-winded way of saying, I think we Americans are an anxious people and I think it's possibly more than it has been in a long time. Um, sure. 
And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. If you want to scale up, you talk about like our culture. It's this puritanical, punitive, right? Mm -hmm. Very masculine. Sorry, said it. I'm said what I said. Um, <laughs> Believe me, you're, you're among a friend, among friends here. You're among <laughs> friends here. I'm with you 100%. <laughs> but this idea that like punishment is first of all going to motivate people, right? And you're talking about being shamed at school, detention, giving people bad grades. That. We think that's going to motivate people to do better. It doesn't. What it does is it creates bad programming in your in your head. And then when you're a full-grown man and you make a mistake, that story that you believe about yourself gets triggered. And then that yeah. impacts your life yeah. in the Absolutely. future, right? Um, so there's this idea that punishment is going to work as motivator. And there's also an idea that punishment is a solution to somebody acting outside of the, the bounds of what we consider normal, right? Like you break the law, we put you in prison. And both of these completely negate- Children too, by the way, like literally children, children, children who put yes. in prison. That's our response. Uh-huh. Unbelievable. And yeah. And if God forbid you don't have white skin and you have a minor infraction and you get, you just can get lost in there, right? What was the story? There was a story about a kid a few years ago in New York who was died in Rikers Island of suicide. He was put there for something like stealing a backpack. Like, it's just like... anyway, <laughs> I digress. Yeah, but it, it, it gets right to your point, though, right? I mean, the, the yeah. this punishment model, right? The punishment, and it doesn't work. Like, it's not, it's not supported by the evidence, right? Like. We need to think about why a behavior happens or like what that person might need in terms of supports. That just takes too much effort. We want. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, it's the way I think about this is I think everything you're saying is exactly right. And I think it all comes down to, it scales up to our culture, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the the punitive element you're talking about there, I think is just, it's so huge. And again, uh, I'm not even here to just rat, to, to rag on, on, on religious people. Um, and I'm I'm very careful these days to say that that I think people should do what they want, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to point out when things are very obviously connected to problems with religion, and that is, mm -hmm. the, and um, even though religion might not even be like the real genesis of it, but it ends up perpetuating it, which is mm -hmm. this problem, this idea that you're fundamentally flawed, right? And right. so I think that scales up very very quickly to a bunch of human beings, literally billions of us, running around mm -hmm. believing that we are all. Um, that were, were, were that were flawed, and then you add mm -hmm. into that the psychological impact of capitalism, right? right? I mean, again, this idea that this sense that you are always behind, that mm -hmm. you're never doing enough. I mean, how could that not generate perpetual anxiety? Uh -huh. And exactly. for, like you said, like you said, Americans are in general very anxious people. And we are mm -hmm. also the most capitalist nation, mm -hmm. right? It, it, there's a reason why there's a connection yeah. there, right? Your productivity is connected to your self-worth. To your you self-worth, exactly. Yeah. The job, your product, and not even just the job, it's your productivity mm -hmm. specifically, right? right. Um, whether you have a job or not. Like, you know, poor people are considered to be not good people or not poor people. Like, unemployed no. people, like you are, you are, a drag on society. A drag on society. And and you are morally bankrupt if you are not Correct. 
if you it's not just that it's not even just that you're not being productive is that you are there is something morally flawed about mm-hmm. you because you're not being as productive as possible right. um and 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 poor folks in, in in going back to what you were talking about as well this i this anxiety this constant anxiety right if if and and this un that you were talking about this loop of unresolved anxiety, poor folks mm-hmm. live in that yep. loop all the time. There yes. is no escape from that. It is fight or flight right. constantly for, for for poor folks. Right? It mm-hmm. is expensive to be poor. It is demeaning to be poor. And you have literally mm-hmm. have politicians out there talking to you and telling you how bad of a person mm-hmm. you are because you are poor. Right? Yeah. Um and. All of this, I think, ends up in what's called a Hobbesian trap, which is the Hobbesian trap is essentially uh, it's come from Thomas Hobbes. Right. But Mm -hmm. the bottom line is this, is that if I am in constant state of anxiety and fear, then I assume that you are always incorrectly, probably that you are Mm -hmm. also in a in a in a state of fear and fear, uh, anxiety and fear oftentimes leads to aggression. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That's usually that is sort of the outlet. Right. Uh, Poor people tend to be more violent as a group of people. Right. um, and violent in the in the most basic sense. I don't mean uh, not that's not the same thing as committing more crimes, right? Yeah. That is not the same thing as committing more crimes, but uh, violent crimes, right? Um, right. Um, and so, what ends up happening though is that you assume when you're in an environment where people are are anxious, they are angry, they are violent, then you must assume everyone else is also like that, and that right. causes you to act first. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that's yeah. a rational thing to do. That is called the Hobbesian trap. It's right. rational for me to attack you first because I have to assume you're going to attack me. That's uh-huh. what capitalism does. That's what anxiety mm-hmm. does, because I have to assume that you are going to step on my face to get to the next level. So I better yeah. step on your face first. Right. Yeah. Hobbesian trap. That mm-hmm. is a huge, huge problem. Yeah. I think that we're dealing with here. Right. I think that it scale yeah. and on the societal societal level it scales up. Yeah, that's very interesting. That's super yeah. interesting. And also there's just that like desperate they're in survival mode. Survival they're, mode. That's exactly when you're it. desperate you will do things that people who are not desperate will do. And exactly. But in our society, something that happens as a natural and predictable predictable is the key. <laughs> right. But then our response is to punish them more. I mean, our system is set up to keep poor people poor. Definitely. Late fees, like bank fees when you overdraft. It, it is impossible once you get in, almost impossible to dig yourself to, out. To, to dig yourself out. And but by then the you way, were told you're a bad person because you didn't dig yourself out. Yeah. You can't make this shit up. And, and by the way, uh, I talk about violence, right? And I'm saying poor folks do uh, are, tend to cause more violent crimes. But I'm here to tell you that late fees... Um, mm. You know, that's violence. That's mm-hmm. fucking violence, man. Yes, that's ma'am. fucking violence. Mm-hmm. You know what's violence is stealing is um, this uh, the 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 price of of drugs, knowing knowing yep. that you are that you are denying people drugs because you need to make profit. That's fucking violence, too. Yes. That's violence, too. Right. That's mm-hmm. rich people's violence. But that's violence. Amen. Um, Right. And so it's the same problem. Capitalism breeds that kind of aggression. It breeds the Hobbesian trap. And the Mm -hmm. only rational out, the only rational thing a human being will do, and it's predictable, is be Mm -hmm. violent. It is predictable. Mm -hmm. It is the, it is the, 
we have a bonobo side of us, which is the good side, and we have the chimp side of us, which is the aggressive, angry, mm-hmm. I want to kill people side. And we have both of those in us. Capitalism yeah. stokes, stokes the chimp, stokes right. the chimp. That's what it does. That's Absolutely. what it does. And you could say you know? that Hobbesian trap even applies to the ultra rich, right? Because they're in the mindset of I'm making a shit ton of money. And that means you're probably going to try and I'm stealing from you. Exactly. So yep. you're probably going to try and steal from me. So I'm going to do it again and, and more so that I'm on top. Exactly. And I'm going to buy the government so that you can't because yeah. that, the, right, the government's the only place that, that, that average people can potentially fight back. I'll right? take your we one We can power. only fight back in the government. That's our only voice. And they've bought that. Mm-hmm. They, they have purchased that. So they yeah. go, that is also violence. That yeah. is also violence. We need to right? do a show at some point about how absurd it is that you have to um, qualify to vote in this country beyond just being a citizen. There it's are just, steps that you have to take to vote. It's ridiculous. It's outrageous. And they make the steps as difficult as mm-hmm. possible. Um, well, look, we've talked a lot about the problems and we do this a lot because it's so easy to spin off and talk about the problems. But let's try mm-hmm. and talk about some solutions here, right? The pressures of capitalism uh, in combination with our personal psychologies, right, can make life unnecessarily difficult for us as individuals and for society at large. So. My question for you now, Liz, is how do we manage the impact mm-hmm. um, on our minds and our bodies that, the, that these realities have? Yeah. Well, I think first of all, because we all grew up in this culture and we received this programming, we also have the punitive voice in our own heads, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that punitive voice is not logical. So fighting with it is not going to help you, right? Mm. Looking outside of yourself and your own brain for help. And I'm going to speak from a, you know, for me personally, this is what's been helpful is to ask for help. I've, I have traditionally been terrible at asking for help because I thought I had to have it all figured out. That was a sign of weakness. If somebody knew that I didn't know how to do X, Y, and Z. Um, And so the pinnacle of not knowing how to handle something is to be like, help me with my brain. (laughs) Um, So for me, that was huge. And as we see, listen, I have been curious. I have been medication curious for (laughs) a long time. Um, And it took me this long to get to the point. And even with this therapist, I've been with her for six months. took me this long to be like, do you think I could get medicated? (laughs) Mm. Like I was scared to ask. Um, So ask for help would be my first tip. Um, For anxiety specifically, this is, I feel like I am well-equipped, well-equipped to talk about this because I have, as I said, many years of coping mechanisms under my belt. Um, So first of all, Something that helps me when I'm like in peak anxiety brain is to have a mantra that I just say over and over again, essentially to drown out the, what I call the monkey voice in my head. Mm. Um, And the more, the simpler, the better, because you want to be able to remember it while you are in a heightened state of arousal. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Um, So mine personally that I really use the most is just the word safe. Just say safe, safe, safe over and over again. Um, And along with that, you don't want to engage with your inner voice, especially at this 
when you're like this, because as you were saying, you know, your, your mind wants to fix the problem, right? So you get these racing thoughts. Um, first of all, it's, it's just digging you deeper into that anxiety hole. It's perpetuating the feelings. The feelings just need to pass through your body. And when we try and intellectualize it, it makes it stay longer because you're actually preventing yourself from feeling it. That's what you're doing. It's a defense mechanism, right? Um, so, and this goes with not judging feelings, which has been a big problem for me. And it's something that I've, is one of the reasons my diagnosis is helpful is because it makes me feel less judgmental of the feelings, less like they have to be, um, like uh, traditionally I've always wanted to have my feelings quote unquote make sense before I would mm. permit myself to feel the feeling. So if it seemed irrational or disproportionate, I would engage in any number of avoidance techniques. So one of them is engaging with your brain and saying, well, this, what about this? And having a conversation about it, intellectualizing it, you're not going to feel it. Well, you will, but, <laughs> but it's just going to get bigger and it's beginning, it's going to become more disproportionate to what's happening the more you try and suppress it. Mm-hmm. So in all of these things, my goal is always just to slow everything down, get a little space, you know, so it's the, the mantra, the not engaging with my chatter, it's just a slow it down so you can have a little room to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um which by the way, it's also how my therapist described this medication. She's like, it's just like, it gives you a little space. You can take a breath. You're not swept away by things so immediately. Um, totally. So, and then another tangible thing is just walking, going for a walk, you know, any kind of exercise or even just being outside, but a way of connecting your, your being connected to your body and to your surroundings, I find very helpful. Again, it goes with getting out of your head, disengaging with the chatter a little bit. Disengaging with the chatter. I think that's yeah. exactly right. And, you know, the analogy I come jumps right to mind is don't feed the trolls online, mm, right? Yeah. The anat, right? You and I run the Instagram account and every once in a while some asshole comes on and starts being a Trumper and being mm-hmm. a bigot or whatever, whatever else. And the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction is to fight back, right? Um, But that does not solve the problem. That only Mm -hmm. makes it worse. And it'll make you feel worse and it'll make that person feel empowered. And I really Mm -hmm. think that Mm -hmm. that dialogue that you're having inside your head is very, very similar. Don't engage that dialogue. Walk away from that dialogue. You cannot win. In both of those situations, there's nothing you can say that the troll is going to be like, oh, you got me. Bye. Never. (laughs) Not one. That will literally never happen. And the other thing too, we were talking, as you were talking I thought about was just community, right? To mm-hmm. add on. Mm-hmm. And that is according uh, that's related to what you're saying in the sense that it's about yeah. talking to people and getting out of your head, right? Yes. Realizing that you're not alone, that right. other people also feel this way. And that also that requires good community, not just anybody. But you need somebody who's emotionally competent, right? Somebody mm-hmm. who is able to to be introspective, a person who is not afraid to mm-hmm. to to that to be vulnerable and that's not easy to find but when you do find that and I think that we have that on this podcast and I hope that people that we I hope that we can empower folks who are listening 
um, in in similar in similar ways. Um, and yeah. you know, just and it sounds like a lot you're talking to about changing perspective, right? And that's mm-hmm. my my thing is find ways to shift your perspective, right? Yeah. I looking at an orange under a microscope, it looks like you're looking mm-hmm. at the, the surface of the moon. That's what it looks like. It looks, like, and then you pull it back and you see that it's just an orange, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that that. That that going back to a larger perspective, keep like getting out of the woods, getting out of yes. like the thing right in front of your damn face, and pushing mm-hmm. it back, and being realizing first of all how insignificant it really is. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's significant because you're feeling, and your feelings matter. Obviously, I don't mean to say that, but. In the grand scheme of things, how many things like this in your life have you been through right. and survived? And yeah. um, and that perspective matters. And again, it's yeah. not about saying that. Oh my God, I'm not. A, it's not a big deal. But it is a think about that's shifting your perspective. It's and it sounds like a lot perspective, right? My favorite. Um, uh, if I can just interject, really. Yeah, quick. go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Um, I'm reading a book on codependency, which is. Excellent. Mm. And my favorite takeaway from it so far is the only thing that's the end of the world. Have I said this on here before? No, I don't the only think thing so. That, the only thing that's the end of the world is the end of the world. <laughs> right, right. And right. it seems so simple, but when I read that, I was just like, holy fuck. <laughs> it's true. Right. It's true. Because in the anxiety brain, <laughs> even if intellectually you you know it's not the end of the world. It feels like the end of the world. You exactly. know, like the fact that my kid didn't have vegetables in his lunch today feels like the end of the world. And it's really but, not. And, and that's really all the about fact perspective. That I, the fact that I painted, I accidentally mm-hmm. painted uh, uh, painted some cement is not mm-hmm. the end of the world. It sort of feels like it, but mm-hmm. it's not. It really, really is not. And uh, right. and and it might take some time to shift that perspective, but mm-hmm. it's important to know, even as the feelings are the, are washing over you, like right. Mm-hmm. Let's try and change yeah. this perspective. Let's well, not let you know. It helps to cut that loop. It helps to stop because when you have the feeling that it's the end of the world, your brain wants to make that true. So mm-hmm. your brain will then come up with a lot of reasons why, in fact, it is the end of the world. And it just perpetuates that loop. So if you totally. can just feel the feeling without judging it and recognize mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world, you can stop that cycle. Yeah, I totally hear that. And uh, we're uh, late on time here. I want to ask you though before we leave about sort of macro action mm-hmm. items, right? We just talked about mm-hmm. what we can do as individuals. What can we do out in the world to help social justice progress in general and as related to the things we've discussed today? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, cuz on a macro level just as we can get stuck in our own loops and and be less effective human beings because we're struggling in our internally. You know, I think that happens in a larger way. Um, but this is actually, this is, this is a hard question for me because I've been, as we can tell, working a lot on myself and my own ecosystem. And I do know that that's necessary to get to uh, the point where I'm an effective advocate for social justice. Um, but I'm still kind of like on the journey of learning how to step out into that larger arena. Um, and so that's something that I really want us to explore in this podcast going forward. I think it's, um, a feeling that a lot of people share. I think we are, a lot of us mired in our own experience and we don't really know like, okay, well, how do I do it? Like, what's my first step? Um, you know, we have like also choice paralysis because there are so many issues. Um, 
but I did hear something great about that recently, um, that instead of getting overwhelmed and thinking, I need to be informed about every topic and do something to help everyone, um, there's a real value in in appreciating and trusting that all these social justice issues are connected, as we've discussed, you know, mm-hmm. like anti-racism, anti-sexism, um, it's all, all the, all, you know, anti-homophobia, it all is connected, right? A rising tide lifts all boats. So, and I'm saying this to myself too, I think if, if you pick one or two things that really deeply resonate with you mm-hmm. um, and do your best to help in those arenas, you can then trust that that will help everybody, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And uh, my two cents on this is just that look within yourself, right? I want to, I need to, and this is speaking for me too, right? Look and I should look inside myself and discover what do I do best, Mm, right? What do I do best, uh, right? Um, And that's a personal journey, which is, which is very Mm -hmm. well, much connected to all the crap that we've been talking about, the shitty feelings and all that kind of stuff, because it's hard to figure out what you do best when you're constantly telling yourself how shitty you are. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, so, but go and figure out what you do best, I think. And then Mm -hmm. whatever that is, donate that to the cause, right? Oh, and I that's, love that. that that dovetails tails with what you're saying because you got to find a cause first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right, and they're all connected. But then mm-hmm. find out what you personally do your be- do best, right? And mm-hmm. um, and then donate that. I think that is, you know, that is sort of how I think about this. I think I'm still trying to figure that figure that out ex- exactly. Yeah. And and, yeah. and I do think and I do hope that this pod. I'm with you. I'm hoping that this podcast, um, as we develop it and figure out what. It is um, in yeah. this next phase that we make that part of it, right? Figuring out yeah. how we can, how we can, we can help. Um, yeah, I think I think you know, like in this culture, we've we've downloaded. I keep saying this, but this fetishization of struggle, right? Like, mm. and if something is easy or comes naturally to you it's, we dismiss it. Yeah. And I think that that really gets in the way of us knowing what our strengths are and what, what we should be contributing, what we can contribute to things or even what, which one resonates. I think for you and I, it's probably pretty easy because I'm a woman and mm-hmm. <laughs> right, 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 you're a right. Black sure. man. So, sure. you know, we have some built in things, but, um, right. But I, I think in general, like, I think that, you know, it'll be an interesting journey of you and I sort of like dismantling our own programming and, and being okay with like, Oh wait, I've been struggling to figure out my thing, but maybe if I stop struggling and just pay attention to myself, mm-hmm. it will present itself. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Who knows? Who knows? And I think that's, just a really great sentiment on which to close because uh, I think it really does a good job of summing up a lot of what we've talked about here today, and that is looking past, looking past a sort of capitalist programming, um, perhaps depending on the person, Judeo-Christian programming, mm-hmm. and uh, and also just our own inner monologue, and trying mm-hmm. to figure out what we can 
do best? What do we do best? How can we contribute to this fight? Because it's going to be going, it's been going on long before we were born. It's going to keep yeah. going long after we're dead. So what's mm-hmm. our little bucket? How can we, what's our little drop in the bucket, right? And figure that right. out and be humble about that, I think. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. so well, thank you, Liz, as always. And everyone else out there, remember that if you like our show to make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out our Patreon and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays on all the major podcast channels. Please connect with us on social media because we love you and we want to talk to you out there. So until next time, please care for each other, share your experience, strength, and hope with each other and with the people you love.